Imagine you've advertised a job in your PR agency or law firm and 200 young hopefuls have sent in their CVs. Would you be tempted, even for a moment, to invite John or Emma for an interview rather than Muhammad or Fatima, even if they all had the same qualifications? Or would you assume that an Oliver or an Amy will fit in better than an Avraham or a Parminder? Perhaps you wouldn't. But it seems that a lot of employers do. Five years ago, a government sting operation uncovered widespread discrimination against workers with African and Asian names. And a more recent study in France found that names that indicate a particular religion, especially Muslim names, were a clear disadvantage in the job market. But is that also the case here in Britain? I'm Ramona Ali, and from my surname, you'll have guessed instantly that I'm from a Muslim background. As a journalist, often working on stories related to Islam, I haven't found that to be a problem. But at least one of my friends tells me she's fed up with the number of rejections she's had to face when applying for jobs, something she believes is down to her Muslim-sounding name. In this edition of Things Unseen, I'll be exploring whether what's in a name really matters so much in the hunt for a job today, and what people whose names clearly mark them out as members of a minority faith have done about it. Do you have better chances on the job market if you change your name to something more English-sounding? And if you do, does that put you in conflict with a faith that may still be important to you? Joining me are Ravim Ismail, who's from a Muslim background and works in the insurance sector, specialising in political risk and terrorism. Diva Chada, who's from a Sikh family and studies economics and law at the School of Oriental and African Studies here in London. And Denise Lester, who's a solicitor specialising in family law and comes from a Jewish family. Denise, let's start with you. You are a second-generation immigrant and your parents came here from Poland and Lithuania. The family name wasn't Lester when they arrived here, was it? No, my father's name was Weinstein and he changed his name during the war by dropping his surname and when he was in the RAF in the Second World War, using his middle name, which was the anglicised version of his Hebrew name. So Lazer became Lester. And I'm known as Denise Lester professionally. It's very much part of who I am. But I'm conscious it's, uh, it's quite an English name and it denotes nothing in terms of suggesting any orientation, ethnically or otherwise. And Weinstein is a name that people would identify as Jewish. How do you think that you would have fared if your father hadn't changed his name? I think I would have, in reality, in the time that I was going into the profession, the legal profession, and applying for jobs in the 80s, where the job market was very tight, not dissimilar to how it is now, I would have fared not as well. There was discrimination in terms of the selection of CVs. And whilst from a more overarching perspective, the Law Society, which I'm proud to be a member of, advocates a policy of non-discrimination and equality and diversity on a micro level, depending on the firm and your environment that one's in, there may well be conscious or, if not that unconscious, discrimination. Ravim, 
you're in the insurance sector and you've kept your name, which many people would identify as Muslim. Has that ever been a disadvantage to you when you're looking for a job? Not that I know of. But then the level of specialisation that I work at and also the level of education means that there are probably many other factors at play rather than the name alone. But you have decided to give your children names that aren't typically Muslim. Can you tell us what you called them and why? My oldest son is called Zachariah and the youngest is called Solomon. And that's been a deliberate choice because many Muslims you know, name their children after prophetic figures, but they deliberately choose extremely Arabic-sounding spellings and pronunciations. So, I mean, in a similar case, it would have been Zachariah and Suleiman. But as far as I can see... What's in a name? As long as we're referring to the same tradition, I see there as being no problem with choosing names that are less unusual in the society in which we've settled. Diva, I introduced you by the name you were given by your parents, but in the world of work, you actually call yourself something different. Can you tell us about that? I was actually given two names. and My first name is Camilla and the second one is Diva and both are there on my birth certificate. But my parents, before I was even born, they always wanted to call a child diva. It has a lot of significance in terms of the Sikh faith. And growing up, going to school, I always used diva. But when I left high school and moved to do my A-levels, automatically my name had been placed as Camilla. And I made an active decision not to change this to diva just because I found that I was getting more serious about my career, you know, starting A-levels and university. And the reception I got with the name of Camilla was different to that of Diva. So it's not so much that your name, Diva, marks you out as a Sikh, but more about the undesirable connotations that it has in English. Yeah, by that stage, the word Diva had become quite popular in mainstream media, portraying, you know, somebody involved in implicit dealings, being aggressive. You just need to look on Urban Dictionary, all the different connotations. And I found that... You know, having a name like Diva, nobody wants a lawyer called Diva. You know, you don't take the person seriously and automatically people's hand actions start. So that's when I chose to say my name is Camilla, where actually I tend to get a response where people are more surprised because they're not expecting an Asian face with a name like Camilla. But your father was originally called Harpreet, which sounds very Sikh, and yet he anglicised his name to Peter, What are your thoughts about that? I can see why he did it, because he was saying, you know, same thing. At that time, the job market was quite tough. And he actually always didn't like the fact that Harpreet was always pronounced Harpreet, Harps. And that has a very heavy sound to it. Harpreet is actually a name of love. It's talking about God's love. So he really didn't like that. And that's when he chose to change to Peter, just because, you know, it was easier and people could say Pete. Denise... You're around three decades ahead of Diva or Camilla in your career. From your perspective, how much of a disadvantage is it in the legal profession to be seen as a member of a minority faith? I don't think it is now. And certainly we should celebrate our ethnicity and diversity. That said, I have a very clear memory of going off to a firm in Knightsbridge applying for articles in the 80s and I looked markedly different facially from the rest of the staff. They were very 
waspish looking and I'm dark and beak and I get asked if I'm anything from Greek, Iranian, Iraqi, Italian, Spanish. So my name and then their visual perception of me was markedly different. And it became rapidly clear to me because they were engaged in a lot of business in the Middle East and times were as they were then that I would not be a fit. And I think that was within the first couple of minutes. So Diva or Camilla, you opted to use a more English sounding name for your first name, but you kept your surname. And of course, when you go for a job interview, as Denise just mentioned, people will see that you're not white English. So what's your thinking behind that? I don't think they should be shocked seeing Camilla and then seeing an Asian face because I have kept my surname as Chadda, which is not a traditional English name. I do get asked, you know, how did this name come about, particularly the fact that it's Camilla with a K, not a C. But I don't think it should come as a shock or it should put them off, you know, the CV thinking, oh, have you lied to me about this because this has been my name since birth. But do you feel having Camilla on your CV application, that gets you past the first hurdle at least? Totally. If I had Diva written there, I wouldn't be taken half as seriously because of the connotations, because this name Diva is more suited to the entertainment industry. These are the kind of comments I've got in the past, you know, you can't seriously be called that. And Camilla, because it is associated with the royal family, this kind of upper class Downton Abbey style thing. So (laughs) I think it has a better connotation to it. And that definitely helps with careers such as legal career, which has that kind of traditional perception of it being, you know, very much historically connected. And do you feel different as Camilla or as Diva? Totally. I think I have two different personas and I don't want to sound like schizophrenia or anything, but I definitely, I think with Diva, like if you go to the temple, everybody knows me as Diva. I'm still a bit more childlike. My way of speaking is a lot more casual and that's in any setting, even with my friends. Whereas when I'm using the name Camilla, I find myself, I don't know, just speaking in a different tone and being more professional. It's a a grown-up persona. Yeah, in a sense. But that might be because it was at the age of 16 when you're making that change. But I think also the name is a bit more serious and mature. Rafim, so the names that you chose for your children are rather interesting. As you mentioned, it's not Peter or John. Mm -hmm. It's uh, Zachariah and Solomon. Mm -hmm. Solomon at least sounds quite Jewish to some Mm -hmm. people's ears. But what was your thinking behind this this choice of names. To tell you the truth, I technically don't have a problem with Peter or Charles or Archibald or Algernon because at the end of the day, if you look at the the roots and the meanings of names, they often mean fairly simple things. You know, a man, great fighter, lion slayer, whatever. And um, a lot of the names that we have here in England, again, if you look at their roots, people have been calling their children the equivalents in other countries and nations and religions for, for millennia. So... For me, it was an opportunity to, you know, firstly, honour my religious tradition, but secondly, also to make a statement that here my family is and here we are to remain. And did your wife share your feelings about so the names? So that took some time, like about two or three years of arguing. Um, she wanted more traditionally Islamic names? Maybe she started off with that position, but to tell you the truth, she didn't have any objection religiously or ethnically, shall we say. She just wanted names that were nice in the ear and that she liked. And therefore, these were the names that we both agreed 
that we liked on all fronts. Well, do you have any concerns that perhaps your son, who's called Solomon, might be identified as Jewish? Yeah, but that doesn't bother me too much because if faith is a choice, then how he's identified or misidentified probably matters less than what he chooses. Denise? The two names of your children are very much revered figures, religious figures, in both the Jewish and the Muslim faith. And there is within the Jewish faith a hidden aspect to name changes. A lot of Jewish people who will have come from observant families of different degrees will actually be named by Hebrew names. They don't only have their English name, they have a Hebrew name which is alongside that. But with regard to your children's names, there is meaning attached to them and and the Jewish thought, I'm not a rabbi, but you adopt the meanings and assume the characteristics of your names and everyone's nodding in the studio so there's some commonality here. So someone's name has deep, profound significance too. You're an observant Jew and you go to the synagogue regularly, yet you keep your religious identity away from the workplace. Do you have any sense that being Jewish is undesirable in the professional world? Not at all in today's society, in the profession that I'm in. I mean, it's a very Judaic concept to pursue justice. It's a key concept. I don't quite keep my Jewish identity separate from the workplace. It's part of who I am to make the world a better place, to engage in the concept of tikkun olam, which is preparing the world, making the world a better place, to have a sense of vocation within the field of family law that I practice in, which includes dealing with childcare work, forced marriage, domestic violence, abduction, as well as divorce. But what I don't do is say to everybody, i.e. in terms of my dress or my persona, this is me, because I'm there to serve my clients. And indeed, I have acted for extremists and acted for people of all walks of faith. So it's just part of me. Ravim? I would agree that for myself, I don't push my religious beliefs or wear them on my sleeve. On the other hand, if somebody is interested, then that's a chance to have a conversation. But while I may be a man of colour with a reasonably uncommon name, it's possible for me to blend in fairly well. While, let's say, if there is a Muslim woman wearing a hijab, Name or no name, you know, she's going to be marked out as different. So the visible markers of difference, there are many minorities that simply do not have the option of blending Mm. in. I agree. And I also think um, there are key times of the year when the faith issue does come into play. And that's in the issue of religious festivals, certainly in my landscape, when you want to get off early because it's the Jewish New Year or the Day of Atonement and you're desperate for the judge to release you and you don't want to be in court on a Friday evening when it's going into the Sabbath, Shabbat. And of course, for my Muslim colleagues, you know, when it's Ramadan, very respectful of the fact that they're fasting. And I think that we have to be aware of all faiths and issues pertaining to them as well. So, Denise, do you ever feel that having a neutral name and keeping your Jewish observance a bit more quiet is being in any way disloyal to your Jewish identity? Not at all, actually. I think that I'm a more effective servant of the community and my clients by 
having that hidden dimension. Indeed, I like to keep it hidden and I like to almost, if you like, play with it. I like the fact that I can blend in a modern day society and yet there is something that's distinct and separate as well without the compromise of one's core values. Diva, when you go out into the professional world as Camilla and your father as Peter, has anyone from the Sikh community ever told you that you really should be sticking to your good Sikh name and should be proud of being Sikh? Well, I can't speak for my father, but I've had a few instances where people say to me, how can your name be Camilla? Are you being disloyal? And I think for me, there is a distinction between the professional side and the religious side. I agree with Denise that you can use your religious and philosophical beliefs to motivate you and, you know, it drives you to what you do. But for me, the key point is the name is one part of you. It isn't your whole identity. You can have people with very traditional religious names who do represent a prophet or an attribute, yet they don't practice any of those virtues. I would agree in that we all have overlapping identities, be it ethnicity, religion, profession, family, etc. And all of us actually do make subtle changes depending on which hat we're wearing for which part of society we're interacting with. Now, the name change, therefore, for a name that's more suited to, shall we say, a host indigenous culture is one of those. And the question that should be asked is, where do we draw the line? I.e., for some people, it is an unconscionable compromise. For others, it is just another way of getting ahead, like wearing a certain suit or adopting a certain hairstyle. So for some people, it's unthinkable. And for other people, it is just yet another line to cross in the upward rise of their family and integration. But I think that one has to be conscious that if you are looking at as I see professionally, potential um, culture clash between people being on the job market now and looking to anglicise or change their names and the whole concept of respecting one's parents or elders, I think that that is quite serious. And I also think that one's name is part of one's identity. So one can't be glib or flippant about the change or undermine the seriousness of a change of name. With Camilla, there's a duality and she's able to switch between the personas. I meet people, for example, who have an anglicised name, but they then say, well, actually, my real name is... They could be Greek Orthodox, for example. So they've still retained their name and their identity, certainly for home and community purposes... Ravim, if one of your sons came to you in about 20 years' time and said, Dad, I'm fed up of getting all my applications rejected, I'm going to change my name completely by deed poll to something very English-sounding, like Tom Smith, would you feel that's in any way disloyal to his Muslim faith and identity? I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with that because Muslim faith, shall we say, does not stipulate that you must select from this tiny catalogue of names. So, therefore, a name does not need to be from a small subset of Arabic-sounding words. So for me, the faith is almost completely independent of the name that you choose. And if you happen to want to venerate great figures from the religious heritage, then that's fine. But if you want to call yourself Thomas or Charles, I myself don't have a problem with that. Many other people do, though. You don't feel it in any way impacts an identity of a person? When you say identity, of course, identity includes national identity as well, as well as your identity in the wider culture. So I think it certainly impacts your identity as an Englishman, 
On the other hand, your identity as a Muslim, it shouldn't, although, again, the faith and its practitioners are two different things. Denise, what would your advice be to a young person who values his or her faith and religious heritage, but feels that their name puts them at a real disadvantage in the job market? Gosh, I think that's an impossible question to to answer. But just in terms of the morality of the situation, it's a real moral dilemma. If their name is their name and it's bound up with their identity, they may want to adopt a duality, but then there could be legal implications that flow in terms of their using a more anglicised name without it being formally changed. And um, it's just a very, very difficult question. I would not want to make their judgment call for them. I would hope, fervently hope, that our society in Britain and in the world is postmodern enough to incorporate the fact that people want to be known by their own names. Ravine. It's very interesting that Boris Johnson's great-grandfather, uh, surname was Kamal, you know, as a, as a Turk. And then when he was assassinated, the people who brought up the family after that changed it to the maternal name of Johnson. And it might have been a very different story if the dynasty had been known as Kamal. I find the whole issue of politicians' personal history particularly interesting because it's only when they have a maturity of office and they feel comfortable in their position that they will then reveal or allow drip feed disclosure about their background, such as Boris Johnson who also has Jewish roots as well. Just on that point, again, that's only possible if they've got the luxury of blending in in other ways. If, for example, we have coloured politicians, they don't really have an option. They're different regardless. So they've always got a story and it's some explaining to do. Talking about the duality of identities, Steva or Camilla, would you ever shed your Sikh side, you know, your diva side completely and be an anglicised Camilla in all walks of life? I don't think I could ever do that just because family life is very important to me. And as my family know me, as a community know me, it's diva. But just touching on the point before, I think we like to think that we live in an ideal world where, you know, society can tell the difference between somebody who's come to get a job with the name of Osama and, you know, the 9-11 instance, somebody like me who has a name like diva, but actually there's a Beyonce song called diva. You like to think that we can place this distinction, but in reality, from my experience, the general public, even the educated professionals, can't make this distinction. Even if they can, they like to have a laugh about it. So if you are in that situation where your name is your only hindrance, I think in some ways you have to kind of adapt to the situation and you may want to consider adding a name. So for example, Osama going to Ollie or like my dad, Harpreet to Peter, so an anglicised name. And I don't think this reduces your identity. I think in fact, it adds to it another dimension, which is that you live in the UK and you're working in the UK and this is your profession. So that would be my perspective on it. But certain organisations will look at anonymising applicants' names as part of the selection process to actually deal with any conscious or unconscious discrimination that could be taking place by those involved. And, you know, maybe that is a way to go. Are we a name or are we a number in the selection process? But maybe that should be more widely adopted. Do you have any hopes for the future that we can actually start using our real names, our names that that reflect our cultural backgrounds, our religious backgrounds? You know, we won't have to use this anonymity. 
Ravim. Surely what we call our children down the generations, that's not a static thing, and that tradition evolves. My grandfather came to Britain after being thrown out of Uganda by Idi Amin, so therefore I'm, what, third generation and my children are fourth generation, and yet people look askance at maybe using names that are a little more anglicised than normal, and yet an Arab can marry a Russian and have a white-looking child, and they can call him Bob without anybody raising eyebrows. You know, what really are we talking about here? Are we talking about real names, or are we really talking about what we perceive as groupings in terms of overlapping identities which are acceptable and those which aren't. So hence, you know, a coloured face called Charles is something which is odd. Is it a culture shock? (laughs) Indeed. But I find this issue fascinating in, in terms of what it reveals about people's reactions as opposed to the decision taken by an individual to adopt an unusual name. Once you hear a name enough times, no matter what its background, then, you know, people become more accepting of it. So even the name Camilla, I did a bit of like research into it. It wasn't very well known, historically speaking. It was only because a novel came out in the 18th century where the main character's name was Camilla. Then they named a hurricane after that. And then you had Camilla Parker Bowles. That's how it's become such a common name. And that's the truth. Once you hear a name, no matter, you know, how Oriental, African, Asian, if you hear it enough times, then it becomes the common name. Thank you to my guests, Diva or Camilla Chadha, Denise Lester and Ravim Ismail. I'm Ramona Ali, and you've been listening to Things Unseen, the programme for people of all faiths and none who think there's more to life than the material world and more to a name than meets the eye. Things Unseen was brought to you by CTVC. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.